And I want to start by sharing with you the amazing creation that is the human eyeball. Okay? So the, the first thing, we'll just kind of start our way on the left here and work our way into the center of the eyeball. The first thing that you come to uh, when you're looking at eyeball is the cornea, which is a clear lens that's right on the front of your eye. Your eye is actually not perfectly round. It kind of has a bulge on the front. So in fact, just close one of your eyes right now. This might gross some of you out. Close one of your eyes and put your finger on your eye and then rub it back and forth like this. You can actually feel your cornea. It's bumpy. Yeah, I mean, hey, it's cool, though. I don't know if you've ever felt your cornea. You probably have when you're just, like, rubbing your eyes on accident. But that is your cornea. It's this, uh, this lens that bends light into your eyeball. So, interesting thing. Your cornea, obviously, is transparent, right? But it's also living tissue, which is interesting because living tissue needs oxygen. And oxygen is transported by blood vessels, which are not transparent. So how... Is your eyeball cornea alive, but there's no blood vessels in it? Actually, your corneas breathe. They absorb oxygen straight from the atmosphere right around it. So every time you blink and you get your eyes moist, more O2 is being pulled into your cornea. So your eyeballs actually breathe. I bet you didn't know that. Um, So on the topic of eyes, your eyes have the fastest muscles in your body which makes it so that you can focus on fast-moving objects, like a softball, so that you can blink and get your eyes wet and remove particles like sand from a softball game, and so that you can adjust to different light conditions, like when you're playing outfield or when you're batting in a softball game. And a lot of other situations, it's not just for softball. So your eyes move, your muscle can move, and uh, contract in less than one one-hundredth of a second, which means you can open and close your eyes a total of over five times in a second. You can go ahead and try it. Just see how fast you can blink. Just, just try it. It's fun. No, there's no shame here. We're just having fun. Just try, see how fast you can blink. It's, it's pretty amazing. They're the fastest contracting muscles in your body. And uh, as I kind of pointed out earlier, you'll notice that this cornea right here is a dome shape, and it does correct light coming in. So light is from all over these directions and enters your eye, and it starts getting sent on an angle back into the back of your eye here. But then you'll notice there's another lens right behind your cornea, which is a second corrective lens. But before the light can get into this lens, it needs to pass through your pupil and your iris. So the iris is the colorful part of your eye, right? It's the part that is the most stunning part. It's like the most quintessential part of your eye. And it is actually a... uh, diaphragm kind of that controls how open and closed your pupil is and your pupils are black because they're holes in your head they are they're actually holes in your eyeballs and the reason they're black is because light's getting in but it's not coming back out but that red flash you see the red eye flash is when light actually goes into your pupil reflects off the red blood vessels in the back of your eye and then comes back out into the camera so that's why you get red eyes sometimes when you're taking flash with cameras So the iris is able to control the size of the pupil, which allows you to see less or more light, which can help you see both in the middle of a bright sunny day or in a softly lit moon night. You can see in both conditions because your pupil can adjust accordingly. And then, as I said, as light passes your pupil, you hit the second lens, which further focuses and puts the light in the right place. 
as it shoots towards the back of your eye at 382,000 meters a second, right to your retina. And uh, combined, your eyeball has over 2 million different working parts that allows you to see. So the combination of muscles and cells and nerves, all of that fit into something the size of a ping pong ball. Your eyeball is almost the exact same size as a ping pong ball. So locating in your retina here at the back are a combination of what are called cone and rod cells. So cone cells are what are responsible for you to be able to see color. And your eyes are so sensitive, you can actually distinguish between 7 and 10 million different colors with your cone cells, which is just crazy. Which is nothing compared to a mantis shrimp, but we won't go into that now. They can actually see UV light and all different kinds of spectrums, and polarized light is really cool. But our eyes are still pretty amazing, too. They can see 7 to 10 million different colors. And your rod cells um, can only actually see black and white. They can distinguish between 500 different shades of gray. And in fact, your rod cells are what are responsible for your peripheral vision, primarily. So uh, it's hard to tell, but if you put a colorful object to your side, it actually loses its color, it becomes black and white. And at night, your cone cells uh, tune down and your rod cells increase. So you can actually, uh, when you're at night, you're actually seeing the world more grayscale than you do during the day. It's almost black and white because you lose your color vision in your peripherals and at night. So to add some more amazing facts about the eyeball, if, was, if we haven't talked about it enough, uh, your eye can focus on 50 different areas or objects in your vision every single second. So when you're reading, if you like watch a slow motion video of someone reading, their eyes are like vibrating super fast. And you're like, why doesn't it look like that when I'm reading? Well, your brain smooths it all out so you don't throw up every single time you read. But you, you are, your eyes are actually moving all over the place, even when you're looking straight ahead. Your eyes are moving, but you just don't realize it because your brain is doing the processing to make it look all smooth. 50 times a second. And your eyes are very sensitive to light. They can see a candle flame in the dark for over, from over two miles away. And your eyes are so good at collecting information, and they're so dense with nerve cells that if your eyeball was a camera, it would be equivalent to a 576 megapixel camera. Now, for comparison, the new iPhone 13 with some of the best cameras on the market is a 12-megapixel camera. So <laughs> compare that amount of data that your phone is taking in compared to what your eyes take in, 576 megapixels. And all of this information takes a lot of processing power. Almost half of your brain power is dedicated to decoding and organizing the visual data that's just pouring into your head every single second. Just an incredible amount of information that your eyes take in. And all of these facts combined mean that, one, your eyes are amazing, and two, that they are the second most complicated organ in your body after your brain. So your eyes are just absolutely incredible. We kind of take it for granted. But even though your eyes are amazing, they fail miserably in one major way, always, is that they can only see physical things, right? Your eyes are amazing, but... They can only see physical objects. And as Christians, there's a whole lot of other things to see than just the physical world around you. And when you're living a life following Jesus, you need to be able to see and understand spiritual things. And it would be great when we became Christians if God like, turned on the spiritual cone cells in the back of our eyes and then all of a sudden, like, boom, we have spiritual vision. But it doesn't work that way. 
oftentimes we go by what we see, right? So we see a problem in front of us, and that's what we understand, that's what we know. Well, last week we looked at it a little bit about Jesus calling the storm in the Sea of Galilee, and he's asking the disciples, why are you afraid? Well, he, they saw the storm. They, they saw the waves. They thought they were going to die. Jesus saw things differently. And so we kind of started this conversation in, in Mark chapter 4 last week, but Jesus didn't just have to teach, teach the disciples once. He, he has to do it again and again and again, and the, and the same is true for us. In order to master something and to really understand, we have to look at it again in a new way, a new situation. So we started last week in Mark chapter 4. We're going to be in Mark again this week. Go ahead and turn with me to Mark chapter 8. And we're going to be taking a look at um, another interaction between Jesus and his disciples. But to get us prepped for this chapter, it's important for us to highlight, I'm going to highlight a few things that have happened in the book of Mark up to this point uh, regarding the experiences that Jesus and his disciples had together. So I'm going to go ahead and list a few things just so that we're all on the same page. So in the book of Mark, Jesus has healed Simon's mother-in-law. He then went on to heal a large number of people from all different kinds of diseases and casting out demons. He healed a man of leprosy. He healed a paralyzed man in front of a large crowd. And then he went on to heal during the Sabbath, and that got him in a lot of trouble with the Pharisees. And then in Mark chapter 4, he calms the storm, and that's what we read about last week. And then he heals a demoniac in chapter 5, and because of the demoniac's testimony... Everybody from the town comes out to see him, and he ends up healing a bunch of people again. And so there's another large-scale healing after that. And then Jesus feeds 5,000 people, only starting with five loaves of bread and two fish. And then he walks on water. And then there's another large-scale healing event. And then Jesus casts out a demon from a small girl at the request of her mother. And then at the end of chapter 7, he heals a deaf man and allows him to speak plainly again. So just as at this point, Jesus has really created for himself quite an impressive resume of what he's done in the book of Mark. And the disciples have been there with him the entire time. And that's really important for us to realize. That's really important for us to know that the disciples have seen him do all of this. So that gets us to chapter 8. And at the beginning of chapter 8, Jesus is teaching a large crowd of people. So they had been out there for three days listening to him, and they didn't have much to eat. And so the time has come for them to go home, and they're hungry, and there's nowhere for them to get food. They're in the middle of the wilderness, and Jesus knows that they're hungry, so he's like, let's feed them. He says to his disciples, let's, let's get these guys food. The disciples don't really get how that's possible. Look at verse 4. And his disciples answered him, Where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? And he was asking them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground, and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them, and started giving them to his disciples to serve them. And they served them to the people. They also had a few small fish. And after he had blessed them, he ordered these to be served as well. And they ate and they were satisfied. That means like they ate all the way until they were full. It's like a Baconator at Wendy's. You're just going to be stuffed. And they picked up seven large baskets. Afterwards, they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. About 4,000 were there, and he sent them away. 
So Jesus does another miracle to add it to his, his resume of feeding 4,000 people with just seven loaves and a few small fish. And at the end of passing out the food, like I said, there's an abundance left over. It's not like it was just barely enough. Everybody ate until they could not eat anymore, and there was some left over. And soon after this miracle, just a couple verses later, Jesus gets approached by some Pharisees, and they ask him to perform a miracle to prove it. And he, he doesn't pander to their request because he knows that it's hard-hearted and it's not going to accomplish anything. So he leaves them, and they're in this boat, and they're heading to the other side of the shore. And that's where we're going to pick up on this conversation, this very pivotal moment in understanding. So look at verse 13 with me. So leaving them, he again embarked and went away to the other side. So they're in this boat, and they had forgotten to take bread. And did not have any more than one loaf in the boat with them. And he was giving orders to them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. So it just stopped there for a second. So the disciples are traveling along in their boat with Jesus. And then Jesus gives them this warning to look out. Look out for the leaven, which is yeast that makes the bread rise. Look out for the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. So the disciples hear this and they think, oh, he's talking about bread. He's probably mad that we don't have any bread. So they're like looking at the bread supply, like Simon opens up his pouch and Judas and, and you know, James. And they're all looking for bread. And they're like, oh, we only have one piece of bread. And maybe they thought that Jesus said this comment as some kind of like chastising remark. Like, hey, you know, where's the bread? And at this point, I imagine when Jesus says this, the disciples are like amongst themselves, right? So they're like, like Jesus is at the front of the boat or something. They're all like sitting back. He's like, be, be careful of the leaven. And then they like kind of turn to each other and they're like, who forgot to grab bread? And like Simon's, they're like, Simon, it was your turn to go shopping. And Matthew chimes in. He's like trying to do the math. He's like, how much do we need to, how much for all the bread? And then Judas is over there like counting their cash, trying to figure out how much they got. And, and I imagine them like whispering and grumbling with each other and like, Andrew and Simon are probably like punching each other or something, like wrestling a little bit. And the brothers are going at it. And then Jesus sees this, right? He's, he's, he's trying to teach them something. And they're arguing amongst themselves and grumbling and, and talking about this bread. And Jesus sees this. Look at verse 17. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Did you not see, do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? So like, whoa, <laughs> that seems like some pretty, those seem like some pretty harsh questions to a bunch of guys just trying to figure out what they're going to eat for dinner, right? I can imagine the disciples at this point are just like dead silent. They're probably so confused. Like, what, a, I thought Brett and then he's mad, like, what's, what is he saying? So he continues. And I think this part has some funny irony in it. Because uh, Jesus makes his point extremely clear. Look at verse 18 with me. He's, he continues on with the questions. He says, Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves and for 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up. 
So he's like, do you not remember when I fed 5,000 people with five loaves? And he said, how, how many were left over? And they go, I can imagine that. I'll just like 12. There are 12. And then he goes on. When I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? Seven. And he was saying to them, do you not yet understand? You don't get it. After seeing all of what the disciples and Jesus had been through, like the disciples were there, they saw him. That makes this question hit differently, doesn't it? Do you not yet understand? You see, Jesus was trying to make a point about how the misguided practices and philosophies of the Pharisees and Herod could be dangerous and they should be avoided. You shouldn't let that affect you. Rather, you should rely on the truth that Jesus is giving and you need to approach life and religion in a new way. They, They totally missed that. And instead, they were talking about the physical thing they saw in front of them, the lack of bread. Which Jesus made abundantly clear is not an issue, <laughs> right? He fed a total now of at least 9,000 people, probably more, with nothing but a Panera's rack worth of bread, okay? So he is obviously not concerned with the bread. But you see, in this whole chapter, and in the book of Mark leading up to this point, that Jesus continually is struggling with saying something, and everyone seems to be missing the point. His disciples just they keep missing the point. Even though their eyes are really good, none of them are reportedly blind or hard of sight, they, they couldn't see what Jesus was doing, right? Or at least they couldn't at first. And neither can we. We have to be taught. We have to be guided. We have to be informed. We have to come to an understanding so that we're illuminated, so that we can perceive what Jesus is actually saying and doing on a deeper level. And that means we have to be able to look past the immediate to grasp the deeper situation, the spiritual side, the spiritual reality of what's going on. So there's another biblical story that with Jesus in it that echoes kind of the same thing that we see in Mark chapter 8. And I'll just tell it to you. It's about uh, Jesus, Mary, and Martha. So this may be familiar, but the story goes like this. So Jesus is coming into this small village, and there's this woman named Martha... Who kindly opens her home to the disciples and Jesus? And Martha has a sister named Mary. So they come in and they're sitting around. And and Mary sits down with the disciples and everyone else. And she starts listening to Jesus talking. While Martha is distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And Luke 10.40, which is where the story comes from, literally says that Martha was distracted. That's the word used, distracted by the preparations. Which means she was missing something. There was something going on in the moment that she didn't see. She was distracted. And you can imagine Martha, like just in your head easily, frantically running around, trying to get dinner ready, getting the table set, cleaning up that ugly corner in your room where you put all your junk. She was just like running around, getting everything sorted out. And she just keeps like, every time she like sets out a new dish, she like looks up at her sister. And then she's like, Going, she like runs into the kitchen and she like grabs the spices and she like peeks her head out the door. And then she like bangs her elbow on the pot really loud to see if she gets Mary's attention. Like, hey, I could use some help over here. And she's just like running around and Mary's just totally focused on Jesus. She doesn't seem to know what's going on. So Martha finally has enough. 
And she comes to Jesus and she said, will you tell my sister to get up off of her butt and help me? That's a paraphrase. And, and Jesus says this, back to Martha. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus says that what is really important is to be and to listen to him. Martha's situation and the disciples' situation on the boat are, are no different. They're the same thing. Their eyes perceived the physical while Jesus was trying to get them to see the spiritual. And like we established at the beginning, our eyes are really good at the physical, but they're not very good at the spiritual. And what often happens is that our concern becomes our daily routines and the tasks that we need to accomplish. So to finish our reading here in Mark chapter 8, you can, if you still have it open, look at me with verse 22. And I, there's this miracle that I think just fits perfectly into this seeing clearly at the hands of Jesus theme that we're looking at here. So look at verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. So there's this blind man, Jesus is going to heal him. Taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village, and after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? So obviously Jesus has healed a countless number of people up to this point. And he, and he goes to heal this guy. He says, what do you see? And he looked up and he said, I see men, for I see them like trees walking around. And then again, and so he, he saw, but he, wasn't, he didn't see everything. He didn't see it perfectly. And then again, Jesus laid his hands on his eyes. And he looked intently and was restored. And began to see everything clearly. And I think the disciples are a lot like this blind man. Right? Jesus had begun to open their eyes. Right? The process is being started, but they still didn't see everything clearly. And so they needed more intervention from Jesus. They needed to be taught again, so that way they could see everything clearly. The blind man, I think, is a real-life metaphor to us and our interactions with Jesus and our, and our experiences. I, there's a lot to learn here from Mark chapter 8. Starting with... Don't get distracted by the immediate. So over and over again in Scripture and in Mark chapter 8, people are so concerned by what is right in front of them that they're missing what is right in front of them. You know what I'm saying? They're so focused on what is going on, the lack of bread, the, the things that need to get done, or the physical, like the actual words that Jesus said, and they're confused by it. They just don't get it because they're, they're focused on what's in front of them. And when Jesus enters our lives and we decide to follow him, we're signing up for a perspective shift. Right? So we're no longer just looking at what's in front of us. We're looking beyond that. We're looking at the spiritual side of things. And as Jesus' words and his questions that teach us, we have to learn this, that teach us how to see. So there are many things that you can be concerned about. A million things on your to-do list. There are appointments. There are all kinds of distractions. But there's only one thing that matters, and that's Jesus. To concern yourself with him. Number two, ask yourself, what is your bread? 
So if Jesus was spending every day with you, which he is, but imagine he was like riding in the car with you on your car rides or sitting at your house or at your job, what would be the thing that he tells you not to worry about? Right? So you're, you're like, I'm out of bread. What's your metaphorical bread? Right? Where, what is stressing you out? What is stopping you from seeing beyond the immediate? What would he say? Why are you worried about fill in the blank? And that's a really good question to ask ourselves because it helps us gauge our blind spots. Interestingly enough, there's actually a blind spot in all of your vision right now. Your brain is really good at filling it in, but where the optic nerve comes into the back of your retina, you actually don't have any cone cell receptors there. So there are literally two holes in your vision right now that you have no idea are there. Physically, if you put two dots on a piece of paper and cover up one eye and you move your head around, one of them disappears when it enters your blind spot. It's crazy. I, I, I didn't believe it until I did the test. I was doing research. I was like, no, that's not true. You literally have two huge blind spots in the middle of your vision you have no idea about. And asking yourself the question, what is my bread, helps us get rid of those blind spots, spiritually speaking. They make us aware of what we tend to focus on and what we tend to worry about and distract ourselves with when there's actually something else going on, something deeper. I can't tell you the number of times where I've been rushing around where I missed opportunities, right? I missed opportunities to minister to someone or to speak love and truth to someone or to help them. I I have missed a lot of them. I think we all do because... Our bread is in the way, or our lack of bread. Number three, don't be afraid to ask for more clarity. So the man who Jesus healed from blindness at the end of Mark 8, he wasn't afraid to ask Jesus. You know, like, imagine, like, hearing Jesus' reputation as a healer, right? People all over the region have been healed immediately from all of their, their illnesses. And then Jesus goes and he's like, the blind man's like, oh, finally it's my chance. And Jesus lays his hands on him and he heals him. And he opens his eyes. He's like, oh, this isn't quite right. Like, can you imagine? Like, be, oh, no, yeah, Jesus, that's all good. Thank you very much. You know, like, it could have been awkward to say, like, I'm actually quite all the way healed. Could you try again? But he, he wasn't afraid to be honest with Jesus. He said, I can see, but I can't see it all. I need more. I think we need to go to that humility place, that place of humility, rather, where we're willing to ask Jesus, because you probably have felt the same way, where you feel like you're missing something, right? It's just not quite all making sense. You just, you know that there's something else out there, but you're just not sure what it is. And that's the case. Ask Jesus to help you again. He's obviously wants us to get what he's doing. He wants us to see beyond the physical. He wants us to know what the spiritual side holds. So, at the end of the day, you don't want to be one of the disciples where Jesus is trying to do something with you. And he says, why? You don't understand. You don't get it. You still, after all this time, you don't get it. You don't want to be one of the disciples. You want to be one of the disciples that grasps the depth of the spiritual reality that Jesus is laying out that you see people the way that he does, so that you understand his mission. The truth is, there is a whole spiritual dimension that we aren't able to perceive. Good news for us is that uh, God can 
help us have these spiritual eyes, that he can use his spirit to intervene in our lives. And Jesus in our lives, becoming the image of him, we can begin to see spiritually. So this week, I want you to try to identify your blind spots so that you can see more clearly. And the more we tune our spiritual senses, the better we'll be able to follow in Jesus' footsteps. The better prepared we'll be to serve him. Please pray with me this morning. God, I thank you for the opportunity to come and learn from your son. I just pray that you open our eyes spiritually, that you um, let us see what we're missing so that we can ask for it and be encouraged by all the miracles that your son has performed, that we can also be one of those miracles where we can see clearly, where we can come to know the truth and the mystery of what you're doing here. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.